Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Alarm Hockey Podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Dewhurst. I am joined by Chris Murray. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing splendid. Thanks for asking. Fantastic. So we are seven days out now from uh, the start of the NHL season. Things are getting exciting. Uh, I'm, in fact, doing a draft right now. Uh, and you'll be happy to know, Chris, I did get uh, Tristan Jerry. Perfect. Uh, what round did you take him, just so everybody knows? That was in the seventh. All right. So you're sticking to your strategy, which we've already talked about on the podcast, which is goalies later. I would have had my goalie situation figured out by round five. <laughs> Two goals. Yep. Uh, 81 overall. Not bad. Um. <laughs> That is very friendly. <laughs> and this is full of analysts. Like this is, I got people in here from from ESPN. I got people in here from um, uh, Rotowire. I got people in here from uh, FNTSY. I got some various podcasters in here. Um, I've got somebody from Osimo. I got somebody from Bankster DFS. Like this isn't just like, a whole bunch of randoms like this. This is real people that should know what they're doing here. So uh, it's interesting to see how this stuff plays out. Uh, anyways, uh, this week we're going to be talking about draft strategy. Uh, lots of people are going to be drafting soon. So, uh, I mean, I want to get things kicked off here. Early draft strategy. Um, I guess, as you discussed, uh, I'm not touching goalies early. I'm trying to stack up the points. Um, for me, it's best player available early, um, and if possible, wingers before centers, because I feel like center has more depth. Um, and really, the idea here is that I want to be sure, uh, I mean, you're getting players who are, A, stable year over year. You don't necessarily need to hit the, the sexy pick in the first few rounds, but uh, you don't want to completely miss I believe the old adage is you're not going to win your draft in, in the first few rounds, but you can lose it. So uh, getting some stability, uh, players you know are going to perform at, you know, point per game or something similar uh, is kind of where I like to go in that space. Uh, what? How do you usually look at those first few rounds, Chris? I think you hit the nail on the head right there, right? So you cannot win your league on draft day, but you most certainly can lose it. That is a hundred percent facts. And I'll go one basic here for a lot of people. Right. And I can, like, I have a lot of these, you know, home leagues where I play with you know, friends that I've known forever. We've been in this league for like five straight years now. So is that one guy who shows up to the, right. The draft and he has no idea what the league settings are. Granted, he's been in this league five years, <laughs> He has no idea if a goal is worth more than an assist yet or was the bracket. So I always tell people, I said, hey, you got to know your league settings, right? Go through, make sure, take the 10 minutes to figure out what they are, right? Figure out if your league has changed any of the stats from the year before, right? So are you still drafting specific wingers, right? Left wing, right wing. Are they just wingers? Are they just forwards? Some leagues are like that. They don't care about position. Just draft 10 forwards and go with it. And that to me is the most important part of what I'm looking for before I even worry about, you know, who is sniping my pick constantly. I need to know what the settings are 
how they're going to change. And you also touched on a point I think that's important as well, which is draft the best player available. Because a lot of times I see owners kind of get stuck in this, but they're trying to fit too much position in, right? Like even if my draft strategy, right, is I want to draft goalies early. Well, if I see some dudes gone on a run and goalies start popping off crazy, well, I'm not going to take a goalie overdraft one just because that's, you know, that's my plan. That's what I'm doing. No, be flexible with the draft strategy that you have, right? Work around. If forwards are sitting there, draft a forward. If a top defenseman is sitting there for whatever reason, take another one, right? And even if you have too many, too much of a good thing in fantasy sport is not necessarily a problem. You'll make trades. You'll figure it out. Having an excess of something means there's a lot of owners that are missing something, right? You have what they want, and that's easier to facilitate trades at that point. So that's how I usually start my my prep work. Yeah, and, and I guess, I mean, one of the things I should really note here is, uh, and I, I'm going to go into the, a little bit of the finer details on this word of strategy. So a lot, uh, seemingly more and more often in the world we live in, the term strategy gets kind of thrown around all willy-nilly like, if you will. It, it's everywhere. I mean, everywhere you go, people are talking about strategy, strategy, strategy. Um, but more often than not, when people are talking about strategy, they're talking about plans, not strategy. Right. Uh, the idea of strategy is that you are going to find a weakness in in whatever it is that you are trying to execute, and you are going to expose that weakness to your advantage, and your strategy is how you are going to do it. Um, which brings you back to kind of a, I think a point that you talked about, but maybe didn't get too far into, uh, which is knowing your room, right? So you got to know the people you. In some cases, you know the people you're drafting with. You're in a home league, you kind of know who people draft. Uh, you know who who the homers are. They're gonna take take you know your favorite local sports team guy earlier than they probably should um you, you got to be able to prepare for that and understand how you might react so that when the situation arises you can effectively do something with it uh otherwise you're 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 not really changing anything you're just in the same place doing the same things um so that that's one point I really like to stress about, you know, if you're going to talk, like when we're talking about strategy, it's like, what is it that you're exposing? So uh, I've seen people go try to go defense early a lot. So it's like, Hey, like those folks are trying to, I believe are trying to say, Hey, I think the difference between the top two defensemen and maybe the next like few is maybe 10 or 20 points. So I'll try to expose that that weakness in my strategy to gain an advantage um it's not one i necessarily believe in but i think that's the general idea um and what i'm looking at here is saying like look if i can get 200 in a traditionally or two 200 point defensemen or 200 point players in general in the first two picks i'm probably going to do okay um if i can get three uh, because maybe somebody's undervalued, that that's the way to go for me. Um, and I see more variance, I believe, in defense and, and goalie, which is why I tend to fade those. And that's that's how I am executing my own strategy by saying goalies are random, avoid goalies early because I don't they don't always return value. 
um, in my opinion. Same same with defense. Not worrying about defense early because guys, you know, players fall. You don't always have to be concerned about it. Um, so I mean, that's that's how I look at it, and, and that's really what I'm trying to make sure I'm taking care of. I'm going to disagree with basically everything you just said in, in <laughs> short. I mean, Perfect. I, I, so to me, I had a good conversation a couple of years ago uh, with Stephen Laylout on Twitter, and he was yep. a big proponent of drafting defensemen early. And I was like, bro, you're lost. Like, why would you, like, yeah. why would you even do that? And then through this conversation, right? So what you're looking for in early rounds is you're looking for value. So I always tell owners, Okay, or anybody drafting, there is no such thing as an undraftable player. Okay, there is value, right? Either you're overpaying for something or you're underpaying for it. You want to get a player at a discount. You do not want to get him at a premium, right? So if I told you, well, you know, draft Sidney Crosby first overall, you said that's crazy. I'm not doing that because he's not going to return value at that spot. But if you picked him a hundred and first overall, you, you know, you'd probably yeah. call yourself a winner. Again, you're drafting the same player. Right. Sure. So it's based on what what value can I get from a player? If I look at defensemen, so to me I consider a defenseman elite if he's hitting about a fifty point fifty points a season. A defenseman that hits about fifty points, you're saying, look, you're doing well and above what most of the league is doing. And for forwards, I'll look at usually about if you can produce a point per game. You're on a good set. If I get a point every time your skates are laced up and you're in action, then I'm doing well. If I take defensemen from last season, okay, just points, straight up points. And again, there are other factors I understand depending on your league settings, power play points, block shots, blah, 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 blah. But just straight points, okay. Defensemen last season with 50 plus points, there are seven of them. So to me, in my head, there are seven elite defensemen. Now, some of them are close, right? Tory Crew, Ryan Suter, Shea Theodore, to name a couple. Yep. But the discrepancy between John Carlson, who had 75, and Victor Hedman, who was third, who had 55, is 20 points. That's a huge, huge Certainly. spread, right? Yep. So if, now if I go back and I say, okay, well, I'm going to look at forwards, just straight forwards, right? You have your elite forwards. You have them, most of them. If I can get, again, point per game. And there are some players who do not play full a full 82 games in a season. Sure. So I'm going to use the cutoff at 69, okay? Because that's how many games most teams played. Some of them played 71. Some of them played, right? Some players played 69. But in that general vicinity, I have 16 forwards who hit 70-plus points. I'll include Alexander Ovechkin here to be 18 since he had 67 points in 68 games. I'll give him yep. the bump that he needs at that point. We're not even bringing into consideration Mitch Marner, who was 18. He had 67 points, 59 games. So the list, again, goes on and on and on about mm-hmm. how many, how close you can get. Certainly. There are more forwards who produce a point per game pace yep. that I don't feel the need that I need to grab two of them that early. I'll get one somewhere else because, again, somebody's going to draft Vasilevsky early, Connor Hellebuck. Those goalies are going to go off. In a 12-team league, you can easily put your hand on probably three 
three, maybe two. I'll say two forwards who are point per game, two defensemen who are elite if you grab them on the turn, and I would go with two other goalies as well in the top five that I think will exceed expectation. That's how I look at my first six picks. I'm trying to be not as even as possible. Again, the draft board will dictate what I do. But yeah. that's how I enter my draft. And then I always – I'm curious once I get to the sixth round, say, okay, well, how much of this plan have I executed? Have I followed it? Yes. Then I'll keep going what it is. If I couldn't grab two elite defensemen, okay, well, now I got to start seeing where I can gain some value. Where do these defensemen start to cluster up? Because after that, you're going to get a whole bunch that come yep. into the 40-point range. And then you're going to get the defensemen who have 30 points who I tell fantasy owners to never draft, right? Because there's always that guy at <laughs> right. the end who's saying, well, I'm holding on to this defenseman with 30 points. And I'm saying, okay, well, you would never hold on to a forward with 30. Why do you do it with the defenseman? They're irrelevant right. at that point. So if you're in a head-to-head points league, there's no point holding on to more defensemen than your league allows you to start. That's a strategy that I use and I stick by it. If my league starts five defensemen and I have no special waiver kind of move thingy or roster yep. rules that your friends have come up with to try to make it fair because, you know, Tony's been killing us every year and, well, we got to make sure Tony doesn't do it again, then I'm not going to go past the minimum defenseman that I need. If I start four, I draft four. And then the waiver wire will dictate at that point matchups that I can exploit or players who get hurt and I can pick up their replacement or just guys who perform, right? That's yeah. how I ended up with Brian Russ and Tristan Jarry last season. Didn't draft them. They just performed. Right. And I, I mean, and that really is a key part of it. And for me, that's also part of why I'm so willing to push back on not not running af- running after defensemen, right? Because if you look at the draft cost of some of those 50-point defensemen last year, right? Look at guys like Tony D'Angelo. No one drafted Tony D'Angelo last year. No one drafted Neil Pionk last year. Those guys were free agent, like waiver wire pickups. Right. Uh, but finished inside of that space. Like, I got Roman Yossi last year in, like, the sixth round. Right? This year he's going to go as a second, third round guy. Right? And that, that's why, I, like, I see that variant, and that variant scares me. Right, where I can go, like, I feel like I can look at, you know, look, if I take these five forwards, I know they're safe. If that's what I do with my first maybe four picks, to me, that makes a ton of sense because it's like, well, you know, they feel so much more stable. Whether they are or are not, I suppose, is a slightly different question, but they feel at least more safe to me. Uh, I feel like I can take those guys, and if I go back year over year and go, yep, they were top. You know, maybe you don't necessarily need top five players. Uh, I mean, the top five is kind of is very consistent or pretty consistent. But if you can get, you know, three, I feel like if in your first three rounds, if you can get three top 20 players, and often I think you can, if you build your ranks, look at things, even if you want to go and look at our ranks on, on fantasyalarm.com, uh, that stuff's there. You'll do it you won't have that much trouble based on, on that because there are players that people fade and there's often no real reason for them being faded. Uh, a guy that I, I keep going and getting in almost every draft I get, Max Pacioretty. People look at Pacioretty and they go, oh, Pacioretty, oh, he's getting old. Uh, 
I don't know. He, like, he scored a lot last year. Vegas was good last year. Patch Ready is a huge reason why they were good last year. If your league counts for shots, Patch Ready shoots a ton. Among the highest shooters in the league. All he does is shoot the puck. Yeah. And when you look at what he did last year, Chris, you know this wasn't the first time that, that Patch Ready scored a lot of goals. You no. saw him score a, a, a lot of goals before. He so gave it, David or as I should say, David Dernay, he gave him a career <laughs> for a couple of years because all Davey had to do was put the puck on his stick, and that's it. Like That's why he was playing top-line minutes because he would refuse to shoot the puck, give it to Pacioretty, and all Pacioretty would do was just finish. Yeah. Right. And I still think he could probably net 40 goals at some point. I mean, he's not far and he's one of those players that people kind of look at Mark Stone and go, wow, Mark Stone's really good. And then they just look at Pacioretty. They're like, oh, Pacioretty's not as good. But well, Pacioretty had 300 shots <laughs> in 71 games. Like, all he did was shoot the puck. And Mark Stone is nowhere near that. He didn't even break 200. Yeah. I he mean, has a better, I mean, better shooting percentage. Again, it's so... It's so what it is, right? But yeah, these players are very, very similar per se. And like you said, if I can target a player who's shooting the puck over 300 times a season, like sign me up. If you're in a categories league, right? Yep. A lot of mistakes that I see, like you don't need to do that. If you're, unless you're in a categories league where each category nets you a win. Right. So let's say you win six categories, you lose four, you got a six and four record, then fine. Maybe you got to diversify your portfolio there a little bit. But if you're in a one win, basically, if you win the most categories, you win the week. I have done very well in these leagues by just targeting just a couple. Like there was one season. It was it was the season Alex Ovechkin had uh, a hunter to finish off the season. He had a terrible year. He like his his plus minus. This is why that stat should never exist. His plus minus was so bad. It was like <laughs> like minus was, forty. He was so bad, and I was sitting there going, "Okay, but what if I just lose the plus minus every week?" And I I did. In this league I was in, I was losing the plus minus every week. I was finishing like minus thirty. I didn't care. It was honestly, I wanted to see how bad it could be. But every week I was winning goals, assists, points, power play points, shots. Because Patrick Kane and Alex Ovechkin are on one team. So no defense going on there, that's for sure. Patrick Sharp was still playing hockey at that point. I remember because, again, I didn't care about that one plus minus stat that the guy in the draft is sitting there going, man, I got to find a guy who's plus 13 to balance <laughs> out. I didn't care. Yeah. And that's just that was just me. So I'm, I focus on certain things. I want to focus on things that I can control. Can I control how many points a certain player can get. Well, if he's done this consistently, then yes. I'm not worried about, well, can this defenseman, you know, rack up more hits and block shots than he's actually done. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's really sound advice. Um, All for so free. So often, yeah. <laughs> so often people are like, if you look at what I think of as a, close to a standard league here, right, where you're taking like, Goals, assists, power play points. Uh, I guess it's, they call them more banger leagues, where you're adding in like blocks and hits uh, and shots, right? It's like, well, you know, if I don't worry about hits or I don't worry about blocks, I just throw that away. 
and say, you know what, let everyone else go and and worry about getting like David Savard. Uh, I, I'm not going to take those guys because I'm, you know, I, I don't need it. I can, I think I can get better players that'll serve me far better in the other four categories. Then by all means, right? You should go and do that, as opposed to being, you know, I better get this guy and waste a draft spot, waste a draft pick where you could have had somebody significantly better. Um, so yeah, like you should punt by all means, if you're playing in a categories league, you should punt one of your categories. That should be, it, your it's, it's always the plus minus. If your league still uses it, please change leagues, <laughs> talk to your owner, bring them into 2021 and say, Hey commissioner, we can, here's a list of things we can improve. Remove the plus minus just to go back on that patch ready like little anecdote here because I feel like some people just miss this. There are two players who had more shots on goal than Pacioretty did last season. One was Nathan McKinnon, and he just shoots everything, right? Yeah. He just fires the puck at anything that exists. The other one is Alex Ovechkin. Ovechkin at 311. Pacioretty at 307. So everybody's looking at Ovechkin and saying, okay, but Ovechkin this. And Ovechkin scores goals. I'll give you that. Pacioretty was nowhere near that total, but he also you know, Ovechkin doesn't pass the puck. It's not his job. His job is to put the puck in the net. So point-wise, they finish with about the same. So I see this thing where people are saying, oh, you know, maybe Ovechkin's not worth a first-round pick. And then I see them kind of – to me, Ovechkin can be one of those top picks if, if your league values goals. Um, that's important as well to me. Yeah. He plays a ton of – he plays a ton – he always will. I think the Capitals are going to struggle a little bit this year, which means he's going to be on the ice a lot. He's going to be firing the puck even more. But more, this is more of a love for Patrick. I think he can be a 40-goal scorer, especially if he's firing 307 shots on goal in a season where he, sti- where he basically didn't play 11 games. Absolutely. And I've described Patrick in the past as being ovechkin light. You're not getting the hits like that part's down, not there. But like when you look at those shots, they're, they're similar. You look at the goals. Yes, 100% Ovechkin scoring more. Um, although one thing like uh, and I, I still remember someone saying this to me is that father time is undefeated. Yeah. Right. At some point, time is going to catch up to Alexander Ovechkin. I like he's what is he 36? He's 35. Five like it's it's gonna happen at some point in the next couple of years. Um, most likely, right? I feel like we've been saying that though for we so have, long, for five, right? Five or six. Like years. we've been sitting there going, "Okay, this is the year," right? And then 2016, 2017 has kind of a down year. Like, "Okay, here it is. It he's is, done." Yeah. And then he scores 49, 50, and four, 51, and 48. And people are like, okay, well, no, he's fine. He's scoring almost 150 goals in three seasons. No, it's <laughs> right. Like, at some point, yeah. yes. But I feel like Ovechkin, the fact that the, the he has, to me, probably the greatest shot in the NHL right now. It's He sits in his office on the power play, right? which is the opposite wing circle, left side. And he just fires pucks at the net. And goalies know it's coming. Other teams know it's coming. The defenseman whose job is to now block that shot knows it's coming. And it still goes in every time. You could put a montage of the goals that he scored from his office there. 
and you'd have to probably take a full day off of work to watch it because there's so many of them. Put it in on an overlay. Just be, you'd like have no choice. I just again. don't know if he slows down. I think last season was the first year where we really saw like he he finished with 19 assists. So if you drafted him as a first round pick and you only got 67 points out of it, again you got a point per game, which is pretty good. But I think we've been spoiled recently by players just the absolute mass production that they can do. So, right, Leon Dreisaitl, right? Dreisaitl has a boatload of points, and that's what a lot of leagues are built on. They're built on points. So when you're looking at a player as a top, you know, top five pick, you're saying, well, I can get Leon Dreisaitl at 110 points or Connor McDavid or, you know, Pasternak or something. Why am I going to pay for Ovechkin? But Ovechkin, to me, is still... It's still a top pick. If your league gives a slight bump to goals, then Ovechkin is – he's a top five pick. I, I think – yeah, I think there's definitely a case for it. He's he's definitely a first-rounder in many cases. I mean, I started a slow draft starting on Saturday. went first overall. Uh, I, that one's a little rich for my blood. Yeah, that's that's, um, that's I too I think bold. in this draft he went he went pretty early. Uh, he went up four, so McDavid, Drysaddle, McKinnon ahead of him. Uh, I personally would be take like Matthews went right after him. I would take Matthews ahead of him. I can see Ovechkin up five, right? That's kind of the spot where I'd sit there and sure. really think about it. Um, but yeah, absolutely, like everything's there. I don't like that's the discount for me. It's like, well, you know what? I'll take, I'd take Matthews ahead of him. He's a little younger. I think it's a little safer, but yeah, you're like moving down to, you know, one pick. He's yeah. He's a top five guy in, in most cases, I think our rankings don't necessarily like categories. Rankings again, depends on the categories. Um, I think he takes a bit of a hit there because he's filling goals mostly. And that's about it. Um, but points leagues where typically goals... Well, if your league counts power play goals, though, because I see some leagues do give the yep. rewards, not power play points, but specifically the goals. The goals, yeah. I mean, you know he's he's going to score them. He's going <laughs> to do a lot of them. Certainly. Um, so, like, for sure, it, it's there. Like, you can, you can see it... Um, so, I mean, moving back, though, from the start of your draft, right? So we've kind of talked through maybe the first five rounds. As you get closer to maybe round 10, right? You, In your case, you said, hey, I got my two goalies. I got them early. Uh, what are you looking at at that point, right? Like, what's who are the types of players that you're looking to make sure you've got a good handle on come come that time? So depending on where I'm drafting, right, because site-specific is also depending on the kind of that flow chart that they give you, right, because they always give you the best player available that you can draft. And those charts kind of are not representative of what rankings are, right? That's their internal rankings. So we've talked about it already, right? If you pull up ESPN, you pull up Yahoo rankings, they got players ranked in all kinds of different places, right? So I'm always going through whatever. And when I get later on in the draft and I start getting into the I guess you want to call it the meat and potatoes of your lineup right so they're not elite players now you really need to find value now you need to find players who are going to exceed value and going to return you know they need to return for you so I'm looking at players 
specifically who are on bad teams, but who are going to play a lot. And last season, those players for me were Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha. Yep. They were going late in drafts. I've said nice things about Mantha. I did last season. I did this season. And I'll continue to do it. Because sometimes fantasy owners kind of get afraid of bad teams. And I love drafting players on bad teams, right? Just as much as if you're playing NFL DFS, right? You want to take a quarterback who's going to be losing a lot because he's going to yep. be throwing the ball all over the place. That's right. Game well, the same, yeah, same thing for hockey. So Detroit was horrifically bad. I didn't think they would be that bad, but what a gift it was to watch them be so terrible. And again, I'm not worried about plus minus and all that. Like, you know, Athens CU finished minus 45. Like, it doesn't matter. Detroit gave up stupid amount of goals in the second period. And I mean, Mantha gets hurt, right? So this kind of falls off the table. Dylan Larkin gave you 53 points in 71 games. That's that's average. That's average. But again, I expect Detroit to be a little bit better this season. Mantha had 38 points in 43 games. That's not bad. Plays an 82-game season, breaks 60-some-odd points. That's yeah. good. That's good value for a guy who I think can really score. He started the season off on an absolute heater. Then he got hurt. So you can't – I mean, injuries are going to happen. It, it is what it is. And for me, this season – well, I'm specifically looking at the Ottawa Senators because I expect the Ottawa Senators to be god-awful, right? Detroit's going to yeah. be bad, sure, but they'll get better. But, I mean, Ottawa's going to have, again, Ottawa's going to have to deal with playing Edmonton, playing Toronto. they got to play those teams a lot. And I don't think Ottawa's going to lose every game that they play against those two teams, but maybe chalk awesome. up one or two wins, and that's about yeah. as far as we'll go here, right? So players like Brady Kachuk, or Evgeny Dodonov, those players definitely interest me, right? Tim Stutzel, while everybody else is yep. drafting Lafreniere, I'm looking at the, you know, the kid who's basically been playing with men who did really well at the World Juniors. <laughs> yeah. Assuming he gets a top line role, playing on the top power play, top power play, playing top minutes. Why wouldn't I want to get on board some of that? I'm looking for volume at that point. How much of something? Who's that fifth player on the power play that has no business being there, right? But is there sometimes. So that, to me, a lot of times would be Nazem Kadri, right? First kind of player that pops into mind in, in Colorado, right? Yeah, he's a second-line centerman, but he gets those top power play minutes a lot. So that yep. helps bump his value, right? You got all the big boys playing on the big line, the Rantons, the McKinnons, the Landis Cogs, plug your defense and kill McCarr. And then you got Nazem Kadri there. So he kind of gets discredited because you forget about him, but he's had success. All this to say, right? I know I'm rambling here, but the when I get farther in, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for players who are going to get opportunities to play with big boys because power play correlation at that point is where I can kind of milk some of that value. Yep. And I'm also looking to target players who are on bad teams just because they're going to play a lot. They have no choice. You're losing. You're down three nothing in the first period. That's it for your fourth line in Detroit. Like they're they're gone. Now we're just gonna roll three lines, and at one point we're just gonna roll two and see what they can do. Yeah. Um. And certainly, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh. I mean, I agree. Looking for 
looking at bad teams for value always makes tons of sense, right? Uh, one guy, I think you, I mean, Kachuk getting to go fairly early. Thomas Shabbat, another guy on, on Ottawa who's always productive, plays way too many minutes. I think he was over 25 minutes. Too night many night. for his own good. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the reality of what happens when you have literally no one else to put on the ice. Um, and you talked about Mantha. I think you look at some of the, the more forgotten guys, though, on those teams. If you're playing in a little bit deeper league, guys like Connor Brown, right? Yeah. Super productive, uh, fills in lots of different categories. He scores a bit, gives you some hits, gives you the, all that type of stuff. He's giving you some floor there. Uh, Tyler Batuzzi, right? He's the yeah. last guy with, with Larkin and Mantha. Scores goals. I think he's like he's going to give you more than twenty, uh, which is you know pretty good value. Oh, speaking of bad, speaking of bad teams, I can't believe I forgot this one. Dylan Strome. Yeah, or actually, yeah, I was just about to note this uh, because of my own equal but different favorite guy on that team, uh, Carl Soderberg. Uh, okay. I think pe- people forget about Soderberg because uh, it's like, oh, yeah, he was in Arizona last year. Arizona, He didn't score a lot. But he actually didn't – I mean, he's like a year removed from a 50-point season with Colorado. That's true. If he gets the time with, with Kane, like ultimately if he's the guy that gets that job, that's going to be all right. Like he could hit 50 points, no problem. And he's a guy you could probably with the last, you know, the last pick in your draft. Uh, another guy that I think gets forgotten a little bit, Kevin Hayes, Philadelphia, yes. good team. But I like, tweeted about it this morning out there. Like Philadelphia has the best top nine in the NHL and there's nothing anybody can tell me otherwise. <laughs> At the very least, like that top six is like really Ooh, good. So. Yeah, and if you watched, like, you watched Hayes, especially in the first round before things got a little bit crazy and Philadelphia totally forgot how to score goals, like, Hayes has elite vision on the ice. He is making plays that people don't see. Um, And I think he's got 60-plus point upside. Whether that happens or not, you know, yet to be seen. Uh, That second line of Philadelphia, though, like, by end of year, um, you're basically like <clears throat> able to look at, I mean, to put this into like DFS terms, you know, is like, okay, well, who, like, if, uh, I think it was line one on Hall Mice, line two away, might have been inverse right. of that. It was like, just, just, just take Philadelphia, you pick one of the two lines. If it was line two, you're going to, you know, take your haze with, I mean, this year, Lindblom, I think, like, Lindblom looked really good before the whole cancer yeah. thing went down. Nolan and, Patrick should be healthy as well. That's another added to it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Nolan Patrick's going to be. I'm really worried about what Nolan Patrick's going to be and what those expectations are. He's uh, healthy, he, and even if he plays on the third line, right, behind Couturier yeah. and Hayes, I mean, there's so many good wingers. Like, daily faceoff, right? So they updated it, what, uh, today, honestly? They have Patrick skating with James Van Riemsdyk and Jakob Voracek. <laughs> yeah, sure. <That's> not bad. <laughs> okay, sign me up. Yep. Uh, speaking of signing myself up, I need to make a pick here before I time out. Who are you going with? Tell us your pick. Live pick. Uh, live pick. Actually, I'm taking Hayes right now. There I'm you go. Paying. Boom. Attention. Done. 
Poyarvi should have been the pick. Uh, had this oh, discussion, had this discussion, and it, it seemingly fell completely disappeared in our chat on uh, in the chat. Somebody had asked about should I take PRV or should I take um, Ricard Raquel as of my last keeper? And I said I think Poyarvi is your guy. Um, somebody said, "Oh, that's, a, that's not good advice. Like he doesn't shoot enough." I was like. You don't realize that like Pujarvi just shot like 300 and had 310 shots in the Finnish league last year in 56 games. Yeah. I don't think he's scared to shoot the puck. Uh, and if he is getting the time with McDavid, like he's an elite skater. He's a former top five pick. I think it was fourth overall. It's expected yeah. to go third overall in that draft, but Columbus went with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois instead. Which like, that's turning out to be a whole mess. Shout out to Columbus. Yeah. Nobody wants to play in Columbus. Weird. No one wants to play for John Tortorella. Who would have thought? This is I new. I don't think John Tortorella. I mean, playing for John is definitely something. Players will either love him or hate him, right? He's on that kind of line. But yeah, I just I've been to Columbus, so I have the that it's not as bad as being in visiting Buffalo, right? So Buffalo continues to be the city. I tell people you can just skip, like drive right through it. It's fine. My <laughs> apologies to the people in Buffalo. Don't hate me. But I mean, nothing much happens in Columbus. I'm going to be real. So, well, I mean, it's a college town, right? Like Ohio it is. State. It is. I stayed, um, I stayed just outside in a college town because I didn't want to stay downtown Columbus because that's how boring I thought it was. Yeah. But I mean, you, you just look at this team where Bobrovsky leaves Panarin had more money to stay in Columbus. and was like, no, nah, not really. I'm going to go to New York instead. And now you got this whole thing with Pierre-Luc Dubois where he gets signed. And now he's kind of saying, well, I don't really want to be here either. I don't, I just, I, I don't think it's for, I, I don't know what the exact quote was, but something how it just wasn't what he wanted or wanted to play somewhere else, which is, it's sad because Columbus is a good team. They do well. And, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is a pretty good, pretty good player. But to circle back to your Pujarvi point, like he did really well, like you said, in the Finnish Elite League, which is a league that is basically for men and where defense is kind of prioritized. And at one point, Zach Cassian will no longer be on that top line, right? 2021 can bring all kinds of changes. That would be one of them that I would welcome. And could you imagine a player who shoots the puck 300 times, right? <laughs> Getting to play with Connor McDavid. Yeah. Like, look, well, man, Sydney, I don't like, think no offense to Chris Kunitz, but Sidney Crosby gave his career, like, you know, Chris Kunitz made Team Canada, right, at the Olympics. And I'm not saying Connor McDavid will do the same to Puyari, but it certainly won't hurt him. No doubt. Um, but uh, I mean, kind of to, to round this back out though, right. It's like, there's value there, right? Yes. Like there, there's always value there. You're going to find guys. Um, and one of the most important things, and this was, uh, I think from my perspective, one of the last things that like it took me to, to figure out in fantasy was it's okay to drop your players. Like yes. take risks at the end of your draft, knowing that, I, if I drop this guy, it's totally fine, right? Like, I'm gonna tell you right now, the last player I'm taking in this draft is going to be Trevor Zegers, uh, because and I he signed his entry level contract, 
Uh, I'm not going to talk about what happened last night. No, we don't have to. Um, but he looked really good that entire tournament. And I don't see any reason why he can't be on Anaheim's team this year. Right? Possibly in a top six role. He he should, right? But, I mean, he was, he was good. He was dominant. Zegers was dominant. And... Just watching, watching him play. I was a little ticked off when I heard his like pregame comments saying how oh, yeah. I can't ever face an offense like him and they were gonna show him. I was like, man, that's that's bold. Like I know world junior kids have like their egos through the <laughs> roof. Kids. Like these kids yeah. don't. Like they don't care, man. Everybody's talking about you know respect the game and whatnot, and these kids want none of that, which is fine by the way. I have no problem with them showing their colors and doing what they did. But yeah. he said that and then came out and delivered. And I was like, well, that's even better then, because then you talk the talk and you walk the walk at the same time. Anaheim should give him a spot, right? I'm just afraid that he's going to kind of get kept. He's going to get blocked from filling one of those center positions. And because you could move him to the wing, right? But yep. and, and they've that very well could be what happens is that they say, Hey, look, we got Adam Henrique here. We've got Ryan Getzlaff here. Yeah, yes. take your first couple of years in the wing, or for at least the first year on the wing, get used to the game, get used to the speed of the game, and then you know, we'll we'll bring you on because like there's no reason for Anaheim to be in a rush. They're not going anywhere. Right? Like they're going to the bottom of their division. <laughs> it's a one-way yeah, ticket there. If not for LA already probably being worse than that. And I guess it's debatable with which team's worse. But um, I think it's fair to want to start him on the wing. But I think, like, especially for center, like playing the center position in the NHL is probably outside of the goaltending position. I think it's one of the toughest positions, right? Because you got to be good 200 feet of the ice. That's right. And... So who knows if, you know, how, what's going to happen, let's say, with College Hockey or what's going to happen with, uh, I mean, my assumption is he's probably going to go play in the AHL. Yeah, he only has two options. Like, I think if yeah. I understand the rules properly is that he can play seven games. Anaheim has seven games to make a decision. Right. After seven games, he either... This is parts that's not really clear to me. He either has to go to San Diego and play in the AHL, or he's going to have to go to whatever CHL team drafted him. Right. Uh, because and I don't think that either. interests him very much. Right. Uh, but it may not be his option. Right. Like, but so like those are the options. And then if you look at that team from top to bottom, it's like, well, why not keep him there? But again, the point is, is that there's upside. Right. Like Zegers could end up being rookie of the year and if, and if he you know he's fantastic out of the gate then so be it right like if you draft him with their your last pick as opposed to taking a in this case right like top of this queue right now is a blake coleman a brock nelson a matai Mat- joel edmondson because he blocks shots <laughs> and gets hits and i have that yeah. category in my cats league you know you no know, no that's yeah. You're a hundred percent correct. You're, here. you're Max Max Domi. I, I could I could make a case for Max Domi. Um, you know, like take a shot, right? Like, sure. 
another guy I really like in that same space, another rookie, Ty Smith. Could, I mean, New Jersey's not going to be great, but P.K. Subban hasn't been lighting that power play on fire. Uh, So getting a guy like, rolling the dice on a guy like Ty Smith, you know, if he ends up winning that job, he could be this year's Tony D'Angelo, this year's Neil Pionk, right? These guys are out there. If you can get them in the last pick of your draft, and not have be fighting over it in like real time waivers, which is typically what's happening in in fantasy hockey. That's an advantage, one you should take over some other guy that you probably should just be dropping anyways. Hundred percent. Which is why I go back to my strategy of never carrying an extra defenseman that I won't start regularly for no point because you could take a player like Zegers, and even if he doesn't, let's say he yeah. you know starts seven games has zero. You know, zero points, no, you know, barely any shots on goal. He's a minus eight. Doesn't yeah, matter. You right. didn't waste anything. Then, yeah. if anything, you have that one open spot. And again, categories, leagues, as the week goes on, if you see, oh, I don't know, me and my opponent are, you know, two hits off or whatnot, then maybe you add that extra player. If your league, let's say I see a lot of leagues still carry penalty minutes around. Okay, yeah. well, find somebody who's going to fight. Or was leading the league, or close to the top in penalty minutes, and just add him and hopes he, you know, hope he gets a two-five and a game misconduct, and there you go, you're fine. Yep. Right. So having that 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 free rotating spot at the end, right, where you can just kind of bounce players in and out of what you need. Sometimes, I guess fantasy owners are kind of afraid to drop a player. They're like, oh no, I have to hold on yeah. to him. And this is true as well for players you may have drafted a little too early. Like you don't have to hold on to them to where you drafted after you've drafted them, where you drafted them makes no difference. Yep. Right. Cause we always hear this in trades, right? Well, I drafted in third. I drafted them in the third round. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well that's oh. what you did. Yeah. And now, you know, your trash is just covered in gold. So, I mean, you can hold on to it and try to convince me that you drafted in third, which means I have to give you third val- third round value for it. Or, you know, we can just agree that maybe you didn't make the best call there and sell, you know, sell your dollar for 80 cents and, you know, call it a loss at that point. Yep. All I can agree with you there. There we go. We we do not have the same draft plan ever. Um, but there are some things that we agree on. That's good to know. Yeah. And I just finished this draft. I just got serious with my last pick. There you go. It, it is over now. So. This is a two center, two left wing, two right wing, four defense, one utility, two goalie. That's what's starting to start the year, at least. I got Bergeron, Braden Chen, Tammy Pierren, Jonathan Huberto, Matthew Kachuk, Riley Smith, Neil Pionk, Zach Wrensky, Tori Krug, John Klingberg, Max Pacioretty, uh, Tristan Jari, and UC Soros as my the players who would start should that be what life looked like today on the bench i got philip grubauer kevin hayes yesi puyarvi jaden schwartz and at the aforementioned trevor zegras i like what this team looks like right you now. have panarin huberto and patteretti on the same team that's right those are my first three picks lethal and lethal. and again like coming back to that original point right like are they all classified left wingers? Uh, Panarin and Pacioretty Pacioretty are left winger cent- are both left wing center eligible. Patrick is left wing only. Um, 
Wait, Panarin's given left-wing center eligibility? <laughs> that, that's right. Uh, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> did he take one? What did he take, like, what, 20 face-offs when Zabinajad yeah. was kicked out? <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah, good enough for us. Here I guess. We we... Sign it, mail it. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, God, that's I right. Love similar, similar situation where I was like, well, I guess, <laughs> guess Barkov got kicked out. He's in. <laughs> oh, uh, but... But yeah, I mean that's that's why I like taking forwards early. Is I like I could have point per game over point per game guys. Three like I got three based on my rankings, right? I, I I'm a spreadsheet guy, right? I got Panarin who I had as my fifth player on the board at nine. I got Huberto who's my twelfth player on the board uh, at fifteen, and I got Patch Ready who's my sixteenth player. I got all of those guys in like the first three rounds in the first 36 picks. I got Matthew Kachuk at who's my 28th ranked guy. I got Patrice Bergeron who's my 34th ranked forward. Like, eh. I think people are afraid of Patrice Bergeron just because of, you know, the Marshawn and Pasternak effect to it. But yeah, but Marshawn Bergeron has been good for a really long time. And speaking of, players who do a lot of things for categories. Patrice yeah. Bergeron does a lot of everything for categories. <laughs> With and, the exception of penalties. Yeah. Right. But like Marshawn's back, right? He's he's practicing. Yeah. So and wants and says he's getting ready to go for the start of the season. Perfect. And to be fair, all I really need to do is get what? Through the first four weeks. And you probably have Pasternak back as well, which boosts his value. Pasternak should be skating soon from what I've read. He is, te- well, again, I don't know how much of this is actually true, but they keep saying that he's maybe ahead of schedule or that his yeah. mid-February yeah, return is on track, which yeah. is what it was first, right? That was the prognosis at the beginning was that he'd miss what was it, like four months, and that he'd be back mid-February. So if he's on track to be there, then he's on track. And I think that also kind of maybe boosts Pasternak's value a little bit because he doesn't need to play. Like, he's he, he could average a point per game and he doesn't have to play, right, 50-whatever games, right? Like, he could play, I don't know, 42 and still get, like, 58 points, right? Like, it's it's very well possible with him. Yeah, um, for sure. I guess it's just going to be hard to see, you know, is he game shape, right? Is he actually yeah. ready? Can he compete in that absolute death of a division? Whatever it's called now. I know they're sponsored by a whole bunch of, you know. I, I be- do believe that it is the East Division sponsored by death. It should be sponsored. <laughs> uh, uh, sp- I'm Googling it now. These, it's I like mean, Discover, I believe, something like that, or was it Mass Mutual? It yeah, Mass Mutual is one because I had to look up. Discover was Mass one of them Mutual. as well. Discover is one of them. Mass Mutual, I had no idea what they were. I was like, I need to Google this. And yeah, so what I think it's right. So it's Honda, Scotiabank, <laughs> Discover, Mass Mutual. Yeah. I'm guessing Scotiabank uh, forked over the money for the North Division. Yes, they did. Which is ironic that they're, I mean, that division should have been associated with Tim Hortons in any way. So, yeah. big miss there. But, 
I guess Scotiabank had enough money and said, we'll take all of Canada for one small fee here. One giant fee, I assume, because I'm going to guess that the other like four major banks in Canada also were like, well, this is good advertising for us. We all, you know, swim in money like Scrooge McDuck. But if we want to swim in more. I mean, Honda and Discover have been so. I guess with the exception of Mass Mutual, again, that one is the surprising one. Yeah, that one's the standout. Like Scotia is a proud partner of the NHL. We know that, right? Scotia Bank Arena and whatnot. Yeah. Honda has been as well, right? So that's not a problem there. Uh, Discover in the United States with NBC, they've been there as yeah. well. So those three, you're yeah. saying, okay, well they have a a reason there. Mass Mutual, a part. I mean, it's a it's a fortune 100 company it is i didn't know that before i learned that this week as well um so the whoever's doing pr and you know yeah social media for mass mutual uh most of canada has no idea what you do but no that that division to to tie this back to patrice bergeron or to posternak and just the bruins in general that division is just so yeah. hard to compete in i i mean i i'm not gonna let that alter too much of my rankings per se just because i think there's still gonna be goals and they're still gonna score a lot and you know that's all nice and it's still gonna happen but man i am i'm just i'm not feeling it for you boston my apologies in advance but this has nothing to do with me not being a bruins fan this has everything to do with just looking at this team that hasn't gotten better looking at that division and going, well, that division's gotten better and saying, how are you going to be one of the top four teams in it? Yeah, that's it. for sure. Um, anyways, Chris, uh, we should wrap this up. We have yet again exceeded an hour. Which oh, darn it. An angry email from John. New year. Uh, Same thing. So uh, anyways, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We're going to get to you twice this week. We're going to come back for you, with you on Sunday. We're going to talk DFS. Uh, we are getting, uh, I think, Chris, you said DraftKings has their pricing out now. DraftKings has <clears> it up <throat> as of today. Today is Wednesday. Um, and I'm going to take a look right now. I'm going to guess that FanDuel is not going to be too far behind. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and talk talk DFS on Sunday Get everyone ready for uh, those first couple of days. Uh, it's going to be exciting. I know I'm looking forward to it. Um, I am looking forward to your Montreal Canadiens uh, hopefully meeting. I think they're going to beat Toronto first night. Um, and oh. um, uh, and you will also hear about that on Wagerline because I'm going to probably put that down because the money looks really good on that game. So uh, anyways, Thanks for the listen, everybody, and uh, we'll see you again. Probably it'll be Monday morning when you when you hear uh, the second episode. So um, have a good day or night.